0: The word "path" is very commonly used in this practice. We talk about the path of awakening, or the road leading to freedom, or the way of the truth. You know, this this sense of direction is often times implied, and it is true. You know, as we practice, we move from suffering to happiness. We move from agitation to peace, and we move from confusion to wisdom. In the beginning, it's very difficult to see the path for ourselves. We actually can't usually see a path. It's kind of like an unlit path through the woods. When one goes out into the woods at night and during the day, It looked a certain way and you thought you could find your way back and get somewhere. And then you go out at nighttime and it's not lit up. And so one doesn't know what the next step might be. One can't see the path ahead of one. When we can't see the path, we rely on others or we just find ourselves groping in the dark. What brings us to this path? What brings us to a sense of there being a path, even though we may not be able to see very far ahead of us? One thing that might bring us to the path is childhood experiences that we might have had, you know, where we have experiences that we can't explain, that open us in some way or clarify in some way, and then we get a little bit older and we, We really yearn for a sense of path. Sometimes it's desperation. We come to the path because we're utterly desperate. Maybe we've lost someone, something that's extraordinarily precious to us. And so we come to the path, a sense of path, because of desperation. Other times we just sometimes stumble onto it. There, many years ago, was a, a woman who came uh, from Russia, and she came here, I guess, pretty immediately upon coming from Russia. And she was here for a few days, really, you know, just kind of hanging around, looking a little bit lost and confused, but, but basically looking okay. And um, at one point, we found out that she actually didn't know this was a meditation center. She thought it was a spa. <laughs> you know, good food, food served at a at a nice time, um, you know, healthy, nutritious, pleasant, um, beautiful environment. Yeah, she thought it was a spa. So she stumbled onto it, which is sometimes what brings us to the path. <laughs> I know for myself one of my biggest influences was certainly Having tried everything else before this path, you know really having tried many different paths before this path, so much so that my mother told me when I was thirty that I could have I could write my memoirs you know, because of so many different experiences, but all in this kind of desperate way to get away from emotional pain, and oftentimes I experienced it as a desperate kind of movement away from myself. So we all come through our, our different ways, our different, um, different backgrounds. But gradually, through the practice of paying attention, the utter simplicity of simply beginning to attend to ourselves, to attend to this moment, to attend to things as they are, glimmers of light start to come. Glimmers of light begin. And eventually, in continuing to practice, the path becomes fully lit. There is a clear sense of direction. You know? And we find ourselves confident and sure footed. The path is gradually illuminated because awareness lights the path that has actually always been there. We just haven't been able to see it before. I've been out to Seattle a number of times to teach with my friend Rodney. And every time I'm out there, the weather is not so great. It's quite foggy and rainy. You know, we hear about Seattle being really rainy. So every time I've been out there, it's been rainy and foggy. And everybody is always encouraging me to go see the mountains. You know, which I guess, I've not seen them yet, but I guess they ring Seattle. You know, they're, they're a ring around the city of Seattle. But boy, I would never know because they're never out when I'm there. And yet, you know, I trust the people I'm, I'm with. Um, they seem sane and reasonable and like they're not telling me that there are mountains there and, um, and that they're not there. Last time I was there, I actually had to go get a postcard so I could see the mountains in the postcard. But, you know, they're there. We just can't see them. We don't know them for ourselves. And this is how the path becomes visible. As we practice, the path is made visible to us. As the path is gradually illuminated through our loving attentiveness there is a greater sense of trust that there is indeed a path, that it's not just a myth. You know, someone might say there's no path, but we know that there is because we know for ourselves. We're willing to abide with the ups and downs that we experience in our lives without being thrown quite as much, without clinging quite as tightly to the ups, and without getting quite as lost and confused when things are difficult. I'll give you an example. Let's say we experience a feeling, strong feeling of despair, something that is familiar to us, but something that um, we get lost in over and over again. Without a sense of path, when we feel despair, the story about why we are in despair, is what we completely build up and believe. It gets built up and believed in without a sense of path. It's inevitable. It's all we know to do. With a sense of path, we remember to be mindful of despair. We remember to be aware that despair is occurring. And we are willing to let the thoughts about the despair be put aside so that we can experience the despair fully in the here and now. And so then we don't build up this whole story. You know, There are, are a set of thoughts, of course, that come with despair. But instead of building on those set of thoughts and creating more despair out of the initial despair, instead we're willing to be awake and aware and mindful. We don't let despair take us where we don't want to go. We are aware it is a feeling that is happening right here and right now. Another example might be when we find ourselves being severely criticized by somebody. Without a sense of path, it's inevitable that we nurture the feelings that arise, you know, those feelings of hurt and of anger and of resentment. No, it's, it's impossible not to dwell upon thoughts about how can we get this person back or find ourselves lost in defensiveness, you know, over and over again, buttressing up our sense of self and our our kind of ways that we're going to counteract what that person has said. And it's so interesting, even if the person hasn't really said everything, we make up a whole lot about what you know the person really meant, and we're going to say this because the person is going to eventually say it, and they really mean it anyway. This is what they really think of us. And then we go on and on in this way. With a sense of path, instead of taking this very familiar route to pain, we can commit to experiencing the reactions that might naturally arise. You know, we might commit instead to experiencing the hurt, the anger, and the resentment without making more out of them, without creating a story around what is happening in the here and now. So whether our experiences are easy or difficult, whether they're pleasant or unpleasant, in having a sense of path, we learn to trust in awareness. And this makes all the difference in the world. We all are obviously individuals, and we have different kinds of paths. You know? And at the same time, we are on a universal path. So we have an individual path. Each one of us has an individual path. Our paths are different, and... Many different things are different, and yet there is something that is the same. Our path is the same. This is a path of awakening. So, although our differences, such as work or health or family or history, create different conditions, at the same time, on a path, the direction is the same it's away from suffering. And it's really important to remember this. When things are easy, our path is still in the direction of dissolving suffering. When things are difficult, it's still the same. The direction of the path is away from suffering and towards peace and freedom. However, the how of this is not at all instinctual. Instinctually, there is a movement towards comfort. Now, this is an instinctual habit. We move towards comfort. We move towards pleasure, oftentimes, as an end unto itself. We move towards the accumulation of things and the seeking of status. In other words, although we want to go in the direction of happiness and of peace and of freedom... Instinctually, we find ourselves moving in the direction of discontent when we don't know that there is a path that we can be on. Some of you may be familiar with this study about lottery winners, and the title of this is A Lottery Winner's Blues. But this study is this. Lottery winners often struggle to handle newfound wealth and fame And many become tied up in lawsuits or estranged from family and friends. One study found that instant millionaires have about the same level of happiness as recent accident victims. That is quite an amazing study. That is quite an amazing fact. As we practice, we learn different ways to be in this life. We awaken into wisdom. And we can make different choices than the ones we have made. And this is what is so beautiful about a path. I'd like to read you an autobiography in five short chapters by Portia Nelson. Chapter 1, I walk down the street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I am lost. I am helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter 2. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I've fallen again. I can't believe I am in the same place. But it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter 3. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it is there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter four, I walk down the street. There is a deep hole. I walk around it. Chapter five, I walk down another street. <laughs> this is really our intent, is actually to walk down another street instead of blindly obeying our conditioning. And this is truly what is possible on the path. When the path is unlit, when there are only glimmers occurring, the path can seem like a fruitless path. But we think we need to remember very clearly that we have a long path of confusion in our pasts. However old we might be here, all of us have a long path behind us of not knowing, you know, of non-awakening, of confusion, simply because of not knowing how to go where we want to go, how to get to where we want to get to. The Buddha once said that ignorance is beginningless. So, you know, if you want to look at your past and think, oh, you know, things were actually pretty good, I wasn't that confused, Um, why am I still having a hard time, why is my mind not cooperating, then you could look at this other bigger reason, the Buddha saying ignorance is beginningless, and that's a really long time ago to bring about a sense of perspective. So really, all we're attempting to do in practice is to um, practice to the best of our ability and no more, not to strive and not to strain, but just to be where we are in a wholehearted way. When we begin the practice, we do begin a new life. So however many years ago that you began the practice, that was the beginning, in a sense, of a new life. And for those of you who are here for the first time or are practicing for the first time now, this is the beginning of a new life. I have a very dear friend who is in her early 80s at this point. And she began practicing when she was perhaps around 50, 52, something like that. And when I knew her, when I met her when she was 52, she looked very old and she seemed very tired Extremely tired, extremely um, done for, um, kind of um, dry, I might say. She's now 82, and she's been practicing with enormous degree of dedication and diligence all these years. She's really put her whole heart and her whole life into the practice. And she looks younger now. Truly, she looks younger now than when she was 52 yeah there's a luminosity and a radiance, and sometimes we think when we start this practice when we 're a little bit older that you know we don't have any chance at all but um she 's such a great great inspiration in this way. I have another friend who um, practiced you know began to practice maybe about fifteen years ago and did this and that and did a f- couple of retreats every year and well, maybe not a couple of retreats, but maybe, a, you know, really tiny retreats every year. And um, sat some and missed a few years in between the 15 years. You know, if you say, how long have you been practicing? She might say 15 years, but that's like a gap of, you know, many years in between. And all of a sudden, she, she um, came to a retreat and something radically changed. You know, it was like the beginning of things for her. She got serious about this after fifteen years and her whole entire life turned around. You know, and has never been the same since. You know, so it's not that the fifteen years were in any way wasted, because we all practice in the only way we know how. To the best of our ability really means that. You know, if there are gaps of years, that's how things are. They're not really gaps because once we start on the path, wisdom floods in and it's somewhat inevitable. But trying for a certain amount of time, you know, just staying uh, steady in whatever way one can, which sometimes can look somewhat unsteady, uh, and then continuing on and all of a sudden, sometimes something shifting and then the whole of one's life turning around. Now, I would say for this friend, of course, there are still difficulties. There are still obstacles. There are still um, things that she needs to contend with. But at the same time, there's a confidence. There's a real confidence, a sense of surety, knowing that this path is the right one for her. We can go about things in somewhat of a half-hearted way. I have a comic here of a man who is on a, on a um, meditation um, mat, And he's sitting, and he has a robe on, you know, like a monk's robe, kind of. And um, he has a cell phone in his hand. And what it says on the bottom is, I'm crazed with this noble path. Let me get back to you. (laughs) (laughs) This is (laughs) half-hearted. This is an example of half-hearted practice, laissez-faire kind of approach. And really, the path asks for a greater degree of dedication. It is important, though, to remember that we can always begin again. This is a huge thing to remember, is that we can always begin again. There's a Turkish proverb that says, no matter how far you've gone down the wrong road, turn back. And sometimes we can relate to this as we look at, have a sense of, of what we think of as our life, our, our habits and our tendencies, and we can see that a, a really a major shift has to take place. Sometimes this insight um, comes about. But I think I like to translate this proverb in a, a kind of a more mundane and ordinary way. You know, no matter how far you've gone down the wrong road, turn back. How many times today did we go down the wrong road? And then can we just simply turn back, not make a fuss about it, not say wrong road, bad, you know, bad yogi, all this kind of thing, but just turn back, just turn back, because always life is calling out to us. It's always inviting us to be here, to be present for it. It's always allowing for a certain sense of, of inner vitality and sensitivity and loving kindness you know so however far away we go we can always turn back if you found times throughout the day today when you you felt that the only time you were around was when the bell rang you know after a 45 minutes sitting and then the bell rings and oh yeah you know I was I was going to be around for the whole um sitting i i had that intention when i sat down at least you know and then the bell rings or you're only back when someone um, says something, when there are instructions. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter at all. We can always turn back. We can always begin again. So, what is the right road? And I say this with quotes about it the right road. It is the Eightfold Noble Path. There are eight path factors on the Eightfold Noble Path. What a surprise, there aren't four or six on the Noble Eightfold Path. And each has the word sama in front of it. This word sama is translated as right or as wise or as true. So whichever word is right for you is the word to use for yourself. What it means is based on the truth of things, ways to bring light to all areas in our lives, ways to illuminate how things actually are, to illuminate and to reveal to ourselves all of the areas in our life. Because what is so crucial is not just illuminating one area, but illuminating all areas in our life. This is really how wisdom comes to be, and non-fragmentation is possible So the first three of the Eightfold Path factors are speech and action and livelihood. Wise speech, wise action, and wise livelihood. Speech that is truthful and kind, useful and unifying. Action that is non-harmful. Action that is of benefit to ourselves and others. Livelihood, meaning work that isn't unethical, that isn't harmful. And all of these first three free our hearts from a certain degree of remorse and anxiety and guilt. You know, there's a certain kind of peacefulness that enters in when we are a little bit more mindful and aware of the conditioned ways that we speak, when we're more awake and sensitive to the ways that we move about, to the ways that we act. And when the way that we work, you know, our our livelihood, um, is benign, is non-harmful, there's a certain kind of foundational level of peacefulness that is possible for us that is not a small thing, as we know. The next three include wise effort, wise mindfulness, and wise samadhi. And the effort that we're interested in is the effort to be mindful, the effort to be present. Mindfulness means being awake and present and aware of this body-mind experience. So being alert and aware to all aspects within this body, to all Aspects within this mind as they arise in the present moment. Not in any kind of a global way. You know, my body, my mind has to be fixed, has to be changed. Nothing like this. But from moment to moment, noticing aspects of this body, being aware of aspects of this body, you know, being mindful of this mind, being aware of emotions and thoughts as they are occurring in the very here and now. Now, Not from the past, not imagined into the future, but in the very here and now can we be awakened aware of this body-mind process. And the third is samadhi, which means focused, sustained steadiness. Seeing if We can sustain the mindfulness so that we can see things through, so that we can see into phenomena, so that we can see into this body-mind process with more depth, with more of a sense of strength, with more of a sense of power, being able to tolerate more and embrace more of what arises in the here and now. So often we're uh, awake to some degree, but we're also, we're We're moving towards it with one hand, and with the other hand, we're pushing it away. Now, in samadhi, um, concentration, steadiness of heart, allows us to be with more of our experience without veering away from it, without as much fear, without being quite as intimidated or afraid of what is arising within. So it allows us to have more of the capacity, actually, to befriend that which is arising in the very here and now. These three, effort and mindfulness and samadhi, are deepening. They allow for a depth and they allow for a, a, a level of letting go that the first three don't. You know, so with the, these three, we're, it's a, a deeper kind of work. We're really allowing for a a seeing into deeper levels in the mind. We're allowing ourselves to notice um, kind of more entrenched obscurations or torments of heart. And so, because of this, there is a deeper level of letting go of remorse and an end of anxiety. In our willingness to work with the mind itself, you know, the first three have a lot to do with the body, with body, speech, action, you know? and these have everything to do with the internal reality. You know? So, in taking up wise effort and wise mindfulness and wise samadhi, we are doing a deeper level of of um, seeing into so that. There can be a natural kind of letting go, and the result of letting go is a greater degree of peacefulness and ease, inner sense of ease, because these things no longer have a a grasp over us or a hold over us. We are seeing things as they arise, and we are also noticing them pass away. And the last two are wise understanding and wise intention. Wise understanding is the understanding of how things work, not how we think things work, not how we think things should work, now not, not how we think things have worked and haven't worked so well, you know, but how things actually work. It's really understanding nature, you know, getting closer and more intimate to the nature of things, which certainly includes ourselves, and really understanding nature. And intention, wise intention, which is the intention to let go or to um, be with things until they let go of us, which is a whole lot more accurate in terms of what happens in practice. And to cultivate loving kindness and to cultivate compassion. These are the three Wholesome intentions, letting go of that which is impermanent, cultivating loving kindness, and cultivating compassion. And these two have to do with waking up and living our practice, actually living our understanding. This Eightfold Path is a traditional way of speaking. And there is another way of speaking about this very same thing. It's the same path. It's just another way of speaking about it and another way of understanding it. This other way of speaking about it is that all path factors are the same. And it is the path of non-avoidance. It is the path of non-resistance, of embracing each moment regardless of content. So it is a path of being present and wholehearted in our life from moment to moment and not veering away from whatever it is that is occurring inwardly. You know, being open-hearted, kind, bringing a loving and caring attentiveness to whatever way our life is in the here and now. You know, so really in the here and now. Not this being a talk, so another here and now, yeah. you know, when when we're practicing, but right here and right now, is it possible to be aware in this moment of whatever it is that's occurring? Present with the difficult you know, because oftentimes when things are a little bit easy, we don't have all that much difficult being present present with the difficult, going against our habits, going against our tendencies and patterns, gently and yet relentlessly at the same time because we know that it's the way out. As we do, what we discover is that there is no such thing as a bad moment. There is no such thing as a bad retreat. Each moment is an invitation to be aware, and we are not as identified with our experiences. There is less resistance to the unpleasant, and because of this, there is less suffering. Less resistance to the unpleasant plays itself out in many different ways, not as being identified with our experiences plays itself out in a number of different ways. Something I've noticed over the years is that the instructions will be given that it's okay to stand when sleepiness is occurring, that this is a positive thing to do and brings about a certain degree of energy. And what sometimes I'll notice is that um, those who are newer will never stand. Beginners will never stand because then people will know that you're sleepy. Whereas old yogis, old yoginis, you know, experienced yoginis will stand very easily because of course sleepiness is occurring and there is a willingness to work with it and less pride, less sense that um, one has to look a certain way or present oneself in a certain way because they are simply experiences. They, not, they aren't ours anyway. So there is less identification with experiences that come and go. Less resistance to the unpleasant equals less suffering. Sometimes we're motivated by great discontent, and this helps us and actually encourages us to be more present when we might not want to be. I have this story here. A young woman who had a bitter disappointment in life went to a remote monastery and said to the abbot, I am disillusioned with life and wish to attain enlightenment to be freed from these sufferings, but I have no capacity for sticking long at anything. I could never do long years of meditation and study and austerity. I would relapse and be drawn back to the world again, painful though I know it to be. Is there any short way for people like me? You know, we're always looking for the short way, the short path. There is, said the abbot, if you are really determined. Tell me, what have you studied? What have you concentrated on most in your life? And this woman said, why? Nothing, really. My family was rich, and I didn't have to work. I suppose the thing I was really interested in was chess. I spent most of my time at that. The abbot thought for a moment and then said to his attendant, call such and such a nun and tell her to bring a chessboard and women. I'm switching the genders around here. So please forgive me if it doesn't work out totally. Um, he sent for a sword and showed it to the two. Oh, nun, he said. I'm going to switch this. Oh, oh, nun, she said. You have vowed obedience to me as your abbess, and now I require it of you. You will play a game of chess with this woman And if you lose, I shall cut off your head with this sword. If you win, I shall cut off the head of this woman. Chess is the only thing she has ever tried hard at, and if she loses, she deserves to lose her head also. They looked at the abbess's face and saw that she meant it. She would cut off the head of the loser. They began to play. With the opening moves, the woman felt the sweat trickling down to her heels as she played for her life. The chessboard became the whole world. She was entirely concentrated on it. At first, she had somewhat the worst of it, but then the nun made an inferior move, and she seized her chance to launch a strong attack. As her opponent's position crumbled, she looked covertly at her. She saw a face of intelligence and sincerity, worn with years of austerity and effort. She thought of her own life, that she had not used so well, and a wave of compassion came over her. She deliberately made a blunder, and then another blunder, ruining her position and leaving herself defenseless. The abbess suddenly leapt forward and upset the board. The two contestants sat stupefied. There is no winner and no loser, said the abbess slowly. There is no head to fall here. Only two things are required. And she turned to the young woman. Complete steadiness and compassion. You have today learned them both. You were completely steady on this game. But then in that steadiness, you could feel and experience compassion and sacrifice your life for it. Now stay here for a few months and pursue our training in this spirit and your enlightenment is sure. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. She did so and got it. (laughs) So... The short way again, but anyway. (laughs) As the path lights itself up, instead of relying on theory and on obligation, as in we should be mindful, because let's face it, there are many moments when we feel that we should be mindful when we don't want to be. Instead, a shift takes place where we want to be mindful with every fiber of our being. On this path, we are learning to trust in awareness instead of trusting in clinging and in grasping. All happiness is found in awareness and not in changing phenomena. We develop a passion for life instead of a passion for the things of life. Sometimes this path is called a pathless path, a path without a goal. And it is a path that does not include gaining. It's not at all materialistic. I remember being with someone years ago who was in a, um, another way, and what... Um, People in the car were saying we were trying to find a place to park in, in Boston, which is pretty impossible to find a place to park in. And, and people were saying, well, um, everybody who practices in the way that you do or has adopted the belief system that you have automatically finds a place to park. You know, it's just something that, that happens that, um, that evolves. And I have to say that, you know, one continues on in this path. We don't find places to park. <laughs> This is, this is not what happens. We, we um, might find less places to park, but we do, we do find freedom. Let me just finish with something from the <laughs> Dhammapada called Crossing the Stream. Few cross over the river. Most are stranded on this side. On the riverbank, they run up and down. But the wise person following the way crosses over, beyond the reach of death, free from desire, free from possessions, free from attachment and appetite, following the seven lights of awakening and rejoicing greatly in freedom. In this world, the wise person becomes oneself a light, pure, shining, and free. Sit for just a moment. May all beings find the path of freedom within themselves. May all beings share whatever they know with others. May all beings be free.